Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. You guys feeling good today? It's good to see you. Good to see you at South Campus and Dream Center Experience and online. And welcome to the best dressed Sunday of the year. Got your new Christmas clothes on. Man, Santa brought you some nice stuff. You're looking sharp today. And I'm so excited that you've chosen to come and worship together. It's going to be a great day, as Pastor Dylan just said. And I'm excited about it. Now, hopefully you got what you wanted for Christmas. But I know sometimes, sometimes the, the gifts aren't what we wanted. And we end up disappointed. We end up looking like these kids, where the sign says joy, but <laughs> our faces say something else. It's like I didn't open what I really wanted. In fact... We kind of played a little prank on, uh, on my oldest son this year. The only thing he's wanted for the last two Christmases is a PlayStation 5, okay? And these things are like impossible to find. But this year he had a job. He saved up his money. He had enough money to like to buy one. He's like, Dad, I'm going to give you all this money. And if it costs more than this, just let that be my Christmas present. But I need you to like, find me a PlayStation 5. And so I was on a mission. Thing is, nobody had them. So the only way you could get one of these things is to go on like Facebook Marketplace connect with somebody in a parking lot and do essentially a drug deal. <laughs> and so that's where I was. That's what I was reduced to. So I'm online, I'm texting people. It feels illegal, okay? It's not, but it does. And I'm texting like, okay, where, where are you going to meet? What are you going to be wearing? You know, and it's this whole thing. And I find a guy, he seemed, seemed cool and, and we, we picked a spot. And so there I am in the parking lot, rolling up, looking around for the feds. I don't know what I was looking for, but just there was going to be a bust. And I, and I walk out and, and, and it, again, it's not illegal. It's just, but it felt weird. And so come up to this guy and he gets out of his car and he's like, hey, aren't you a pastor? I'm like, hey, what? <laughs> no, yeah, no. I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. We had a good conversation. I, I bought the PlayStation 5 and it was cool. Didn't get stabbed or anything. It was great. So I bring that home and then I'm like, you know, he's been wanting this so bad. And we, practical jokes are kind of a love language in our house. And so I'm like, what can we do? So, and so I, I had this really old game system at home, like old, worthless. It's the kind of thing where if you took it to Goodwill, they would give it back. They would say, no, sorry, we have standards. We don't need that. So I had this old game system and, uh, and I, I put that in a box and in magic marker, I wrote PlayStation 5 on it. Okay. And then on the cardboard box, I put it in, I wrote PlayStation 5 and then I, I gave it to him and I'm like, here's your present. And he opened it up. And he goes, what is this? And I'm like, well, it says right on the box, it says PlayStation 5. And he said, Dad, I hope you looked in the box of the guy, the random guy in the parking lot that you bought this from. And I'm like, no, he seemed honest. He seemed great. And so and he opened it up and he pulls it out. <laughs> it's this old system. It is just ratty. And I'd put like magic marker PS5 on it. He goes, what is this? I'm like, well, it's, it's a PS5. And he said, Dad, this is not a PlayStation 5. Uh, he figured out pretty quickly that, that it was a joke, but it was... It was fun for me. I don't know that it was fun for him. I had fun with it, all right? I, it was a gift to myself this Christmas. So today, we're not talking about Christmas presents. We're gonna talk about even more in presents than that. We're gonna talk about the gifts 
that God gives us, unwrapping the gifts the Lord gives us, spiritual gifts the Bible calls, calls them, and understanding spiritual gifts, understanding the gifts God has given you is a huge key to understanding his purpose for your life, his destiny, his unique design for your life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in, in two different chapters. Both these chapters are kind of the best known chapters on the topic of spiritual gifts. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12. Both of them in great detail talk about this concept of spiritual gifts. And we're going to understand together what God got for us, not only this Christmas, but for life itself. Starting with the very first verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, now about gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. So the whole conversation starts, the Apostle Paul hears right, and he goes, I want you to understand what God got for you. I want to help you unwrap the gift that God got for you, because these are the most important gifts you'll ever open. And we're going to learn some important things about the gifts that God got for us. And the first principle is this, when God gives a gift... There are no refunds or exchanges, all right? You're going to see lines backed up tomorrow at Costco and Walmart and Target and everywhere else are people that are wanting to turn in what they got and get something else. But when God gives you a gift, it's so specialized, it is so uniquely designed to you that there's not a refund policy. You either use it and develop it and use it for God's glory, or you just kind of forfeit it. Jesus tells a parable kind of illustrating this. It's a parable of the talents where this master leaves three servants in charge and he gives each of them talents. Talents represented units of money, but it also can represent the, the gifts and talents God gives to us. The first two servants use their talents, they develop them, they invest them, and they use it as a way to give glory back to God. But the third guy, he was lazy and he was scared that he was going to misuse it, so he buried his talent. He didn't do anything with it. And when the master comes back, he says, you wicked and lazy servant, why didn't you do anything with the talent that I gave you? And he took it away from that guy, and he gave it to one of the guys who had used their talent wisely. It's a really sobering parable that Jesus is telling us that we've got to use the gifts and talents God gives us everything that God entrusts to us, realizing that we don't really own it, we're temporary stewards of it, but what we do with what God has given to us has eternal significance. And we need to use it well because what God's given you, he did not give by accident. He had, from before you were even thought of by your parents, God knew you were coming, he had a plan and a purpose for your life, and he entrusted you with certain gifts, certain aptitudes, certain talents. And it's up to us to understand what God says about these talents and these gifts so that we can best use them for God's glory and best understand the unique design that God has for your life and mine. So continuing on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We'll pause there. So one of the main themes about spiritual gifts, the gifts God gives you, is that it's given for, not only for you, but for others through you. Here's the principle. When God gives you a gift, it's a blessing for you, but it's also a blessing for others through you. It's never just for you. When God gives you something, it's not just for you to enjoy. When, when you give your kids a present, sometimes it's just for them to enjoy. When God gives you a gift, there's always more to it. When you unwrap it and realize that he's given it to you, it's like, yes, this is for my enjoyment, but it's not just for me. It's meant through me to be something that's going to help 
other people. Every gift, every skill that God has given to you is meant for the common good. It's meant for something for you to enjoy, but something for others to enjoy as well. Some people never really tap into the gifts God has given to them, and I think there are certain reasons for this. Number one, they, with a false sense of humility, think that it's a sin to admit that they have a gift. You ever met people like this? You're like, you tell them, oh, you're so good at this, and they're like, no, I'm not. I'm really not. You're like, no, really, you are. You're great at this. No, I'm not. And they think they're being humble, and really, they're just being dumb, okay? Because the truth is, when you pretend you don't have a gift that God's given to you, it's not being humble. It's telling the one who gave you the gift that they didn't really give it. Now, imagine if your grandma gives you a really nice present, you know, and she gives you this thing you've always wanted, and it's so nice, and you open it up, and then you hide it under your bed, and you tell people you never got it. Didn't your grandma give you that gift? No, no, she didn't. I don't have that. That's not being humble. That's telling grandma she's a liar, and that's insulting the one who gave you the gift. So when you act like you don't have a gift that God's clearly given you, it's not being humble. That's not what humility is. Humility is just recognizing where the gift came from. It's recognizing, that, yeah, I have it, but it's not because of, of something that, that I did to deserve it. It's because God chose to give it to me for the greater good, and I want to use it for his glory. And God's given all of you gifts. He's, he's entrusted you with certain things and with certain aptitudes. I think it's another reason why we don't fully use our gifts is because at first glance, we don't like what God gave us because we haven't really tapped into it. We haven't valued it because we wanted what somebody else had. You ever looked and said, man, I wish I, wish I was like them. You know, like, I wish I could do what they do. You know, the guys that are, that are singing up here, you know, like, man, I wish I could sing like them. You're never gonna have to worry about me singing a solo in church. I did not get that gift, and it's cool. I didn't, you know, that's not even one that I wanted. It's like, it's not a big deal, but I recognize, man, that's awesome they have it. I, I don't have it. It just comes natural for them, and that's not my thing. But there are other things I don't have that I did want. Like, I grew up in, in a family where all the guys in my family, except for me, were huge guys and great athletes, okay? So like all of them. So like my, me and my second brother, who is Ben, he, he is just a, a giant of a man. He's seven inches taller than me. There was a point in high school where he was two years younger, seven inches taller and 100 pounds bigger. He was a star offensive lineman that I remember one day I was walking down the hall with Ben as a senior, right? I'm the senior. I'm supposed to be like, you know, big man on campus. I'm a senior. And these two freshmen walk by and they say, oh my gosh, that's Ben Willis. And they're like, who's that other guy walking with him? <laughs> and I, I promise this, this happened. These were real words. And, and the other one said, I think that's his older brother. And then there was a pause. And one freshman said to the other, what happened to him? <laughs> right? Thank you, Lord, for the gift of humility, Right? But I wanted that. I'm like, man, it'd be awesome to be big and strong like literally every other guy in my family. That, like my, you know, my dad was a big football star. Like I was unathletic, uncoordinated, wasn't enough. The God, he, you know, he went out of his way to let me know sports wasn't going to be the thing. Because not only am I going to give you a short day, I'm going to give you poor eyesight, poor coordination. Like just in every way, I wanna, want you to know that's not going to be your thing. And at the time, I'm like, Nah, this isn't really what I would have picked. But now looking back, okay, fast forward. So God had wired me up to be a pastor. I didn't know that at the time, but that's what he had wired me up to do. He'd wired my brother Ben up 
to be, play football, which helped him get through school. And then Ben went to law school and became a prosecutor. Now he is, he's, he's on his way to becoming a judge, and he'll be a great one because he's fair-minded and he's full of both truth and grace, and, and people love and respect him, and he's going to be great at that. But we'll look at our size difference, and we joke that we have similar personalities, but people approach us in very different ways because people are intimidated by him because of his physical presence. And people are not intimidated by me. And we joke about this, that, that he says, you know, people will come up to us to meet us and they'll be standoffish with him, but they'll come right up to me. And see, God was wiring him up to be a judge someday, somebody that needed an imposing physical stature. He was wiring me up to be a pastor, someone who needed to be approachable, someone who needed to not be intimidating. And so he, he put the same personality in a lot of ways in us, but he had wired us up for different things and how he made us was part of that destiny that he'd created for our lives. And now, like, we totally see that. But at the time, I didn't. I was like, oh man, I wish it'd be cool to be, to be that, you know? And if we take our eyes off what God, the masterpiece God's created us to be, because we wanna be like somebody else, then we're missing out on what God made us to be because the Bible says we're all parts of a body and every part of the body is important. And if the foot says to the hand, man, I wish I was a hand, then you're, you're not gonna have a foot doing its job. If the internal organs saying, man, I wish I was one of the outside parts, then those inside parts, which are really important, you know, the body's not gonna work right. And we need every part of the body. My wife Ashley and I have to fly a lot for the marriage ministry we do. We were on a plane one time and this was years ago, and we were sitting there, and there was a delay, and the captain, this, I promise he said this, he came on the intercom, and he said, sorry for the delay, he said, but the mechanic just informed us that part of the engine is missing, and he said, but he said this in all seriousness, he goes, so we're just waiting to see if that part is important or not, and I said out loud, it's important. I, I'm not a mechanic, but it's important, right? Whatever it is, we need it. I don't care what it is. I don't care how small. Like, I don't want to get 30,000 feet in the air and you come back on and, you know, turns out it was important. <laughs> and we're not going to be able to land. Well, the body of Christ is like that. Every part is important. And you think, well, I wish I was this part or I wish I was that part. But then if you're not being your part, the whole thing could crash. The whole thing could come undone. God made you as a unique masterpiece. And we've got to embrace with gratitude and blessing what God has given us. And how we understand what God has given us is studying his word. The more we study his word, he's revealing things not only about himself, but he's revealing things about the way that he designed us. So here's a, a quick story about that. So this coming semester here at Stephen Street Church, we're doing this cool pilot program with Lee University. We're gonna be teaching students from Lee right here um, I'm going to be teaching one of the classes on preaching and teaching, which I'm super excited about. And if you're putting together a college course, the first thing you have to do is design what they call a syllabus. If you've ever taken a college class on the first day of class, you get handed something called a syllabus. It is basically everything you need to know for that class. All the rules, all the goals, all the assignments, all the due dates, everything you need to know is in there and it's for your good. But this, this one professor, this was on the news a couple weeks ago, and I just thought this, this was so funny and telling. This professor had this one class and there were 70 kids in this one class. And he kept telling them, man, there's really important stuff in the syllabus. You need to read the syllabus. But he said, I had this suspicion that none of them were reading the syllabus. So at the beginning of this last semester, I put something in the syllabus, right in the middle, hidden, kind of tucked away between all the goals and dates and all this stuff. 
And there was a, a paragraph that said, by the way, I've hidden a special treasure on campus. It's in this locker. This is the combination to the locker. Whoever finds it first wins this cash prize and congratulations. And he goes there at the end of the semester to see if anybody's found it. And he opened up the locker and here's the picture. This was on the news. Still there. Still there. 70 kids handed the syllabus. Treasure map right there. Here's where it is. Here's the combination. Here's where to go. It's free. It's yours if you find it first. Not one kid goes there all semester. God's word's kind of like that. He's got treasure for us here on every single page. And a lot of times we're going through life looking for what he's saying. God, why, why don't you show me? Why don't you show me this? And he's like, have you read what I put in here? Because there's treasure in here for you and you're missing it. You're missing it. So how do we not miss it. Let's continue reading on. We're going to switch back over to Romans chapter 12 now, which has some of these same themes that we've already talked about. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in according to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's lead, then do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, doing it cheerfully. I think that list could go on and on and on. And whatever work you do, it matters. You're a teacher, an accountant, a mechanic, a lawyer. Do it honestly. Do it wholeheartedly. Do it, the Bible says, is working for the Lord and not for people. Do it as a way to encourage those around you. Continue to develop your craft and your skill, and do it all to the glory of God as an act of worship to him. I, I remember one of the most stunning things I've ever seen in my whole life was Ashley and I had the opportunity a few years ago before kind of the world shut down with the pandemic to check something off of our bucket list, and we got to go to, to Rome, and, and, and part of what we saw there was to walk inside the Sistine Chapel and see what Michelangelo had painted. Do we have a picture of that? So, pardon all the naked people. I don't know. You know, he was, I, but he was, there were naked people on the wall in the chapel. But <laughs> that's not the, the amazing part. It's really the, the art that is amazing. So, Michelangelo was commissioned to paint on the ceiling, to paint the ceiling, right? You know, do whatever you want. He wasn't even known as a painter, he was a sculptor. But they were like, maybe, you know, maybe you could paint too or try. And, he, and he's like, well, that's not really my thing, but for God's glory, I'll give it my best to tell the story of God, to tell the story of creation. And so this little job that they, I don't know, they just expected him to like roll the ceiling and just kind of like, you know, like a regular painting contractor, but he took it the next level and he gave his life to it. He did it until his eyes started failing. He built scaffolding where he had to get so close up there, the intricate detail, and he did it at a time when there was no photography. He never envisioned a time that people would up close see what he wrote, but the closer you get, the more amazing and intricate it is. Every inch of the ceiling, places you can't even see from the floor, places that were obstructed from view from the floor, and they said, why would you paint there? Nobody can see it. And he said, God will see it. And I'm doing this for him, this is an act of worship, an act of service to my God. I want to use the skills he's given me to the best of my ability, and I want, 
I want to tell the story of God in a way that will honor him and inspire people. And hundreds of years, hundreds of years after he painted it, we waited in line for at least an hour, and then we packed into this room that was so packed, I heard nearly every language imaginable as people just stood up and gazed in amazement as the story of God. He, he did this at a time when people couldn't read. Very, their literacy rates were really low, and so the wall tells the story of God. Every image tells a, a picture of God's grace from the Bible from the moment of creation right at the center all the way throughout, and it's one of the most iconic images ever painted. From a guy who wasn't even known to be a painter, but he said, if I'm given this opportunity, I'm gonna do it to the best of my ability. And, and he did as an act of worship. And maybe your and my canvas won't be as visible as the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, but I believe each one of us has an opportunity to do something every bit as important with the work that God's called us to do, with the kids that God's called us to raise, with the students God's called us to teach, with the business dealings God's called us to orchestrate, and we do it all to the glory of God in our vocational work, in our serving, when we go to the Dream Center here and roll up our sleeves and help the less fortunate in our community, when we volunteer to help the kids right here at this church, when we do what we do to give our time and our talents and our ability to say, God, I'm yours. Whatever you wanna do in my life and through my life, whether everybody sees it or whether nobody but you sees it, God, let me do it to the best of my ability let me unwrap the gifts you have given me, and Lord, help me, help me to live the life you created me to live for your glory. What else does God want us to know about our gifts? Your gifts are not your identity, but they are your responsibility. I think on one hand, the false humility of saying, I don't have a gift is, is a mistake, a sin that we Christians can fall into, but the other extreme is we build our identity on our gift, and we think, if I couldn't do this well, I would no longer be myself. I would no longer have value. It's like if you see yourself only as a singer and then you lose your voice and you have an identity crisis, and God's saying, but you're not just a singer, you're my child who I happen to entrust with this temporarily, temporary gift to being able to sing, which you used for my glory, and, and now, now you don't have it, but you're still just as valuable, you're still every bit the person I created you to be. If we build our identity around our gift, then our gift can become an idol that we start to worship because it's no longer about giving honor and glory back to God, but it's we start being addicted to the honor and glory we gain for ourselves when we use it, the accolades we get. And so your gift cannot be your identity, but it is your responsibility. And what that means is whatever you've got, you have a responsibility to God and to others to use it. So that means if there's an opportunity in front of you to use your gift in a way that could help others, give God glory, and do some good, and you don't, you consistently don't use that gift, the Bible says that's actually a sin. Here's one to me, one of the scariest verses about sin in the Bible, because we all think about sin, you know, don't do that, don't, don't do this, that thing, that's definitely a sin over there, don't do that. But the Bible says this about sin. Remember, it is a sin to know the good you ought to do and then not do it. A sin. When we have an opportunity to do right, an opportunity to do good, and then we can't do it all. We can't save the whole world. I mean, there's a million things in front of us, and I don't want this to be like a point of paranoia for you where you think, gosh, there's a billion causes, and if I don't give to every single one of them, I'm sinning somehow. No, God doesn't want you to live with that kind of stress, and we don't have that kind of power, even if we 
wanted to help every cause. But when some opportunity is placed right in front of you, and it might cause a little inconvenience, but you know in your heart, God's the one who placed this opportunity here. And I have the freedom to walk away and say, no, that's not really my problem or not my, not my call. But every single one of us, myself included, have let selfishness steer us away from moments that we know we were meant to do something. Every one of us. And that's a sin we've all been guilty of. And thankfully, we serve a God of grace, a God who continues to bring chances to us that we don't deserve. But the more we say no to those opportunities that God brings our way, then the less God will trust us with those opportunities. Because the Bible says, he and she who is faithful in the little things, I'm going to entrust with many things. And if we keep saying no to God when he brings little things in our, in our path, then why would he trust us with bigger things? When we sometimes we think, no, I don't want to waste my time on helping these people or doing these little things. I, I'm made for big things. And God's saying, if you're not willing to help in those situations you think are small, then man, how can I trust you to do those things you, you see as so big? We gotta be faithful in the little things. And we've got to do this. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. What does that mean? I'll say and tell you in a second. And yet, I will show you the most excellent of way, ways. So what are the greater gifts? So the, the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, like this whole summation about spiritual gifts, and the end of Romans chapter 12, section on spiritual gifts, in both of those, both those passages, the very next thing that the Bible tells us about is love in both of them. This ends 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the most famous section of the entire Bible about love, right? You hear it read at weddings and every, you know, love is patient and kind. You know, it, it, if you don't have love, you have nothing, all of that stuff. And we tend to think about that only as like romantic love. And that's a small, small part of it, really the love God's talking about is something so much bigger. It's that love that's rooted in commitment and adoration and selflessness toward others around us. So every aim of the gifts that God has given you are meant to do this. All of God's gifts are meant to be an expression of God's love, an expression of his love for you, an expression of his love in you, and an expression of his love through you. Because when you're using the gifts that God has given you and you're using them in the proper way, it is, you're his hands and feet in this world and the world around you is gonna experience his love. And what a wonderful opportunity. We're all communicators of God's word. Whether it's through singing a song or preaching a sermon or much more practically through rolling up your sleeves and using the gifts that God has given you in your home, in your neighborhood, in your school, right where you are. Like, those are the messages of love that people remember. That, that's what matters. That's, that's where faith comes to life. So you've heard the 1 Corinthians 13 section on love probably a lot. And so I'm going to read maybe the slightly lesser known section of love that comes in Romans chapter 12, right after Romans chapter 12's description of all these spiritual gifts. The point of all these gifts, again, is to be an expression of love. And here's what it says in Romans 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then a few verses later, he sums up this whole thought. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we think of love as its own kind of separate thing, but the Bible is telling us love is the expression of those spiritual gifts that God has given you when we're using them the right way. Then what that really is, is love. I do this out of love for God and out of love for you. We do this out of love for God, out of love for one another. And when we're using our gifts to really help each other and to build one another up, it is an expression of love. And the warnings in here within love, don't be conceited and you know, make sure to associate with people of low position, all that. It's, it's helping us to avoid the traps that a wrong view of our gifts can create. Don't let your gifts make you conceited. Don't, don't let them make you think that you're too good for somebody because God's put them within you to serve and to help and to heal and to be part of his hands and feet to help those very people that he gave his life for, which includes you and me. And we've got to be willing to do that wherever we are, whatever we do, we've got to live our lives in that kind of way. And when we unwrap the gifts that God gives us, that's what life's going to look like. So th- th- there's only one service today. So I've, I've actually, the sermon's got two more hours. I hope that's okay. We good? <laughs> Some of you were like, ha, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But I do have one more story, and it won't be a two-hour story. Don't worry. When I was preparing this, 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 this message about, God, you know, what, what, is, what does it really look like? You know, where the rubber meets the road, how do we use our gifts? And my mind went back to a story I heard 20 years ago, a story that impacted me then, 20 years ago. And it was a story, this, this woman had been hired by a grocery store chain, to come and do a customer service training. And she gave this, this message on saying, whatever your job is within this store, uh, your job matters. It's important. And you have an opportunity for every person that comes to you to use the gifts that you have to make them feel appreciated, to make them feel respected. And after her talk, there was one young man that, that was a, a bagger at the grocery store. You know this talk was like 20 years old. This story was 20 years old because now it's hard to find a bagger at a grocery store. If anybody else in this, I, I used to be one like years ago. And I, when I was doing it, working for minimum wage bagging groceries, I said, you know what? One day I'm not gonna be paid to bag groceries anymore. And I was right. Now I have to pay to bag my own groceries, <laughs> right? That's just how life works. It's like, and I'm, I've gotten good at it. Like I'm, I was employee of the month at Target last month just from bagging my own groceries. So that's, Side note, that's actually not true, but that's not the story. So this is back when people were still bagging groceries. And this, this young man who just had a heart of gold, he, he, he follows up with this lady, you know, a few weeks later, and he goes, you know, I took your advice to heart. And at first, when you said that we have gifts and we have abilities and we can make somebody's day, I, I wasn't sure that that really applied to me because I, I just bag people's groceries and... I also have Down syndrome, and simple things are a little harder for me. And I thought, what can I really do that's going to make any kind of real difference? He said, but then I realized I I can make a difference. And I started thinking about it, and all the people that come through my line all day long, so many of them look sad. They look stressed. They look busy. They look worried. 
He said, and, and I feel like maybe God is bringing them into my line and I've got an opportunity to bring some encouragement. And so every day I, I get with my, my dad and we go online and we find a, a, an encouraging thought for the day. You know, it, it can, might be like just a, a quote or a Bible verse or a slogan or something that would make people smile and realize that they matter and, and just to know that God loves them. And, and so every day we, we print out like hundreds of them, like little, like almost fortune cookie sizes. And, and I cut them out one at a time and I have a big stack of them by my, my bags where I'm bagging the groceries. And every time someone comes through the line, I take that thought for the day and I put it in their bag and I look them right in the eye and I say, I hope you have a great, great day. And so I started doing that. And I noticed that, that after a couple days, my lines started getting longer and longer. Like other lines would have nobody in them and people would come to my line. And the managers would start coming over to our line and saying, uh, the other lines are open. And they're like, oh, I know, I'm, I'm just here to see Johnny. I, I don't wanna miss out on his thought for the day and, in fact, I used to come in once a week, but now I come in every day, even if I don't need anything. And I'll buy something. Because seeing that kid, that 19-year-old that kid, smile at me and look me in the eye and, and give me an encouraging thought, he's like, it's the highlight of my day. And so the line got longer and longer. And people just watched in amazement as this kid smiled and bagged groceries and one by one, encouraged people. And so this kid was telling this lady who'd given the training, like, you know, thank you. I, it made me realize that I can make a difference and that I have a responsibility to every person that God puts in my path to, to make a difference in their life. See, Johnny's a kid that had it figured out. And some of us go our whole life and we don't understand, we don't, we don't connect with that truth that, that Johnny got as he was bagging people's groceries, that this isn't just the job, but every person that I interact with today, everyone is someone created in the image of God. You've never in your life met an ordinary person. Every person you meet matters. Every person you meet is immortal. They're gonna spend eternity either with God or apart from him. Every person you meet is someone Jesus loved enough to give his life for. And every encounter, every interaction we have in this life can have eternal significance. If we'll just pick up our eyes from our tasks and our own worries and our own struggles long enough to realize that I have an opportunity. I have a responsibility to bring some encouragement to the people around me. Whatever I do, whether I'm bagging people's groceries, whether I'm teaching kids in a school, whether I'm, I'm raising kids in my own home, whether I'm supervising people at work, whether I'm interacting with people in cubicles around me or I'm standing on an assembly line, whatever I do, God, help me to do it with my whole heart. Help me to develop the abilities that you've given me and continue to use them, the opportunities you've given me to make an impact in the lives of others. And if we'll do that, if we'll do that day in and day out, if we'll realize that God has entrusted us with gifts, sacred gifts, something better than anything you unwrapped this Christmas, things that have eternal significance, it's gonna help us look at our lives with a new sense of purpose. It's gonna help us look at the things in our lives that might even seem mundane or stressful as, as an opportunity that God has given us to make a real impact in the lives of others because God has gifted 
you. God has a plan for your life. He made no mistake when he made you and wired you up with your aptitudes, with your desires, with your skills, with your gifts. And he wants to, through you, bring all that together in a way that is gonna change the world through you. It's a gift that he gave for your enjoyment, but it's also a gift that he gave so that his love and his light could shine through you and bless the world around you. So let's pray together. Father, thank you that you've gifted us. Thank you that you give only good gifts to your children. Forgive us, God, for for being small-minded sometimes about the gifts you've given because we either wanted what somebody else got or we didn't have the confidence or faith to really embrace the gift. We wanted to pretend that we didn't have it. God, whatever it is that's held us back, I just pray that today would be the day that we recommit with open hands and an open heart to say, God, everything you've given me, I wanna use to your glory. So show me, Lord, show me how I can start right now developing those gifts and those skills, using them, God, to build up the church, to build up my family, to build up my community, to point people toward you. But every interaction I have, God, be a little spark of your presence in that person's life. It's through my smile and through my encouragement, God, they can be reminded that they matter. God, help me to use my gifts to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand up together. Guys, it's gonna be a great, great new year, not only at this church, but I believe in your life. And so as we wrap up 2021 and look ahead to 2022, I just want you to know the best is yet to come. God has got great things in store for you. Be here next Sunday. One of my favorite people, one of my favorite communicators, a guy named Dan Leanne, who's a pastor originally from Australia. And if you haven't heard a sermon preached with an Australian accent, you're gonna love it. Dan is one of the most pure-hearted guys and dynamic speakers I've ever been around. He's gonna be here to help us start off 2022 in a great way. There are two services next week. That is uh, 9 and 10.30 right here and at our South Campus, 10.30 service there. You'll be able to see Dan streaming live. Guys, have a great week. God bless. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.